excreted from the babelfish stuck in Arthur Dent's ear. Ew! It's the IGN Digigod. Please welcome two genuine people personality prototypes, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. What a great intro. Bob, come on. Give it up. Who is that? I, you, I don't know. I can't pronounce his name. Try. Makoto Tushika, shuck some corn to Takashima. Come on. I don't know. Don't bust me. Tushkashama. Closer. Jones. No. Don't sue us. Too funny. Wait, I was in New York. Yes. Yes, you were. I was in New York. I was. Took a vacation. Like almost a week. Well-earned vacation. I saw two Broadway shows. What did you see? I saw Rock of Ages. Okay. Which and is being made into a film starring Tom Cruise. Who, in the stills at least, looks pretty great. I love Tom Cruise. I, I, I'm a Tom Cruise fan. I was a Tom Cruise fan when, when it wasn't fashionable to be a Tom Cruise fan. You were a, uh, you were a Tom Cruise fan even when he was jumping on the couch? Uh, I, I, I meant of his acting. Oh, okay. And I saw there's a uh, – uh, Chris Rock makes his Broadway debut. Oh, I heard about this. Yes. In uh... – A show whose name I cannot mention. Okay. Because it has an expletive in it. It's called The Mother Effer with the Hat. Ah, yeah. Although, you know. Yeah. It's not actually Effer. Yeah. And uh, it's uh, he's in it. He's He plays uh, – no, there's, there's only four characters in the whole thing. Yeah. And, you know, he, uh, is he good? He Not really. I mean, he acquits himself fine. I think yeah. – a lot of what this character does in the play is very monologue esque, so it does, it does sort of speak to his stand up, you know, what he does best, which is stand up. But I think ultimately in this play, I think the character would have been better served by a better actor, right? And not Chris Rock, a better actor like uh, the one that stars in yeah. this movie. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you know, what I'm talking about. Uh, Tell us about Ding Dong Dead. <laughs> you brought it up. I know I did. It is, after all, a DVD show. You know, this is um, one of the joy. <laughs> one of the joys of actually reviewing DVDs is that every once in a while, uh, one of these things will come out, and you just kind of think, "What? How did how did a movie come out that actually stars one of our colleagues?" Um, this is a this is a movie called Ding Dong Dead from Music Video Distributors. It is ostensibly a, uh, a horror film of uh, some sort, directed and written by uh, Creep Creeperson. It's his real name, right? Really? Yeah, it must be. And starring uh, none other than our our very own uh, film critic colleague Luke Y. Thompson. Now, Luke is a bit of a Renaissance man, <laughs> and I use the word Renaissance very loosely. Um, not like the real Renaissance. Not like Luke paints pictures of you know naked babies and fat, you know topless fat women or anything. Um, but Luke does a little bit of all kinds of things, and he moonlights a lot in the B movie world, shall we say? He loves the B movie world. He in fact, it. we almost we had an issue voting him into Lafka mm-hmm. because the argument was his tastes are so narrow and eccentric. Yes, meaning. B movies, yes. horror films, saw films yeah. that people thought maybe he shouldn't 
be let into the group. But obviously, cooler and wiser has prevailed. And yes. Luke is now a proud member is, of indeed. the LA Film Critics Association, and he, going to every single reception that we get invited to because he gets free food and always gets drunk. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, anyway, Luke uh, stars in this. It's it, Ding Dong Dead, and uh, you know if you know the the reference here, it's Ding Dong Ditch, which is uh, you know where you, it's kind of a variation on that, where people who play Ding Dong Ditch against this poor taxi driver esque unemployed guy, uh, things don't turn out quite so well for them. Super low budget. I think they may have spent a buck fifty making this thing. So you know you go in expecting what you expect, but uh, we we were amused watching the, our our good friend Luke in this uh, very interesting film. Uh, even has a commentary by Creep Creeperson and a separate commentary by Luke and Creep Creeperson. It's his real name, right? Creep Creeperson. Oh, yeah. His, his parents had quite a sense of humor. Uh, good people. And a behind-the-scenes featurette. Boys loaded with extras. <laughs> Ding Dong Dead. Support. The 3D, c- right? Oh, yeah. Actually, it's 4D. <laughs> Skip right over 3D. Right to 4D. <laughs> And you know another great commentary this week, boy. We're just we're just we we got it. We, we're out of control here, people. We are out of control. Uh, Lily Thorne from Vanguard. This is a tremendous commentary on this uh, on this movie. Really? Yeah. Who who did the commentary? We did. Uh, <laughs> yes, Vanguard released this film. Lily Thorne, which actually it's interesting. Lily Thorne is a, is a little independent film. It, it's like community filmmaking, which is a point that we actually make in the uh, in the thing. It's. Uh, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, it's a wonderful life in there, that little kind of small town underdog against the big developer thing. And um, it uh, it's interesting in the sense that the entire film and everyone in it and those who made it, it's all from one town. So this isn't, you know, if you, this isn't even just like independent filmmaking. This is small town independent filmmaking. And uh, it's, it's, you know, not a bad little film for... Uh, you know the the uh, the circumstances that went into it, and we talk about that. It's an interesting paradigm going forward for how I think we're going to see more and more films made and targeted and marketed. You know, it's going to be uh, one step removed from a home movie in a certain sense, like but, Ding Dong Dead, like Ding Dong Dead, exactly. <laughs> but I, I think it's an interesting paradigm. So uh, yeah, we uh, there's our little Ditch Gods logo. Yay, uh, Lily's Thorn. It's funny because it's, it's not like people can't hear us on the podcast. No. And it's not like people can't see and hear us on Stupid for Movies, even though you're not on Stupid for Movies anymore. Still, there are 50 archived episodes. True. So, and, uh, and Luke, by the way, hosted in my stead a few weeks he ago. He did. He did yes. a very good job. He was terrific. Now that we have talked about the important films, we can go down and we can start you know, scraping the bottom of the barrel here. Because um, we've done. Now, now we're done for the show. That's it. The good, good night, stuff, everyone. Good stuff's out of the way. Ding Dong Dead and Lily's Thorn. Good stuff's out of the way. Now we can talk about junk. Like, for example, this thing that they call the uh, Lord of the Rings Motion Picture Trilogy Extended Edition on Blu-ray. Now, this uh, is approximately the size and weight of an Adobe brick. These are not the theatrical versions of the Lord of the Rings Trilogy. As everyone knows, there were previously extended editions released, which are substantially longer. And... Truly, if you woke up at 6 o'clock in the morning and loaded these things up and spent the entire day just watching the movies, not the extras, not the extras, just the movies, and then had like a couple of breaks in there just to eat, it it would truly take you all day long. Well, you realize this is 15 discs. 
And if you add the extras, honestly, it could take you all week. It's like over 25 hours of, of extras. It just goes on and on and on. you got to be a real fan. I would say, unless you are just completely out of your mind for these films, um, I don't know. It's, it's, I mean, yeah, does it look great in Blu-ray? Sure, of course. Well, here's the thing, Man, though. The, it um, just goes on and on and on and on. Well, also, part of the reason why it's 15 discs is that even though these are Blu-rays, um, the films are spread over two Blu-rays. Yes. So, uh, Fellowship of the Ring on two Blu-rays, right? Uh, what's the other one? The, the Two Towers, the one where they, they, they just walk around in a tree for the whole movie? Pretty much. Two Blu-rays. Yeah. Return of the King, which won Best Picture? Two Blu-rays. So six of the 15 right. are, the, are the movies. Now, the fact that they would spread those films over two, over two Blu-rays only shows that they are totally dedicated to a great transfer. And oh, the transfers yeah. are beautiful. Yeah, no, look, no, no argument there. It's just how much Lord of the Rings do we need? A lot. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it, it's, it, look, it, gorgeous Blu-ray. If, you're, if you have the previous extended editions already on DVD, definitely going to upgrade. You've got to upgrade. Uh, Wait, here's the thing. Yeah, I know. Uh, there's a company called CBS Films. It's a, it's a relatively new company, <laughs> CBS Films. CBS being the, the TV yeah, uh, network, yeah. and they're branching out into films. Uh, Every film they come out with sucks. Pretty much, yeah. And I'm surprised they're still in business. Uh, they're, one of their early films, oh, they're all early films, is their new company, is Beastly with uh, Vanessa Hudgens and Alex uh, Pettifer. And uh, Alex Pettifer plays a guy who's... Uh, Alex Pedophile? Huh? Alex he Pedophile? He's 17. Jeez. Can you can can a seventeen year old be a pedophile? Uh, I don't know. When you you're I, I, under eighteen yourself? Sure, if he you know likes fetuses. Exactly. What? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, Pettifer plays this a spoiled brat kid, and uh, he meets a witch, oddly played by Mary Kate Olsen for some reason. Oh, jeez. And the witch turns him into an ugly person, and he'll only be pretty again if he falls in love with a woman for her. But the thing is that even though he he's turned into an ugly person. He's still Alex Pettifer. Is he? He's just Alex Pettifer with a so bunch of tattoos is, on him. What you're saying is this is basically Beauty and the Beast for the Twilight set. Uh, very true. Yeah. That is very true. Special features include an alternate ending, uh, deleted scenes, and a bunch of other crap that yeah. uh, is meaningless. Speaking of, you know, it just arrived today, actually, which I have not had a chance to look at yet, but is the uh, Criterion Collection release of the Blu-ray of uh, Jean Cocteau's Beauty and the Beast. Really? Yes. Which you know has that wonderful line, "Mais vous êtes un animal." I'm not an animal. That's a different movie. Oh, that's a David Lynch film that you just referenced. I am a man. Uh, you know, Mark, what do we think about Kate Mara as an actress? You know, we like her sister. I like her sister a lot. I like her sister a lot. Uh, now, here's the thing with Kate Mara is that I, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of Kate Mara. And, you know, her uh, sister, of course, being the one that wowed everybody in the social network and who wound up getting the lead role in Fincher's uh, Girl remake with the Dragon of Girl Tattoo. with Dragon Tattoo. Thing, thing with Kate, I'm not a fan of Kate Mara. She was, she was, uh, the best I've seen her is in Ironclad. Yeah. Ironclad was produced by our, our friend uh, and is a terrific film. And Kate Mara is good in it. All It's the best thing I've seen her in. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of her otherwise. I am not a fan of hers generally, but I got to tell you, she's not bad. And this is an ensemble film we're talking about here, which is uh, Happy Thank You More, Please. Uh, but she's in, she's buried in this ensemble, which includes, you know, 
I mean, there are some Malin Ackerman is terrific in this, and uh, Zoe Kazan, and you know, a lot of it's it's not bad. Um, the uh, the film itself was actually uh, written, directed by, and stars Josh Radner of uh, How I Met Your Mother. And uh, it's one of these, uh, you know, there are a lot of movies like this where you just get a, a nice ensemble cast and you sort of focus on their interaction. And this is about a bunch of, you know, young adults in New York. And uh, there you go. There it is. It's an ensemble thing. And, you know, who, who loves whom and who's struggling with what. And uh, we've seen this thing before. But, you know what? It it's rings, very Sundance. It's very Sundance. And it rings true. And the actors are good. And is it a great script? No, but it's solid. It it it, it definitely seems to come from uh, experience, and you know, it's got the whole a lot of the stereotypes that we always uh, think of the you know the the waitress and all of those things. But I'll tell you, it uh, not bad. Uh, Blu-ray doesn't need to be. It's on DVD and Blu-ray. Nothing special about the Blu-ray. I'd say it's a you know rent it on DVD and uh, and watch it and enjoy it. And if you really love it, then maybe buy the Blu-ray. That's telling them ways. Maybe. Uh, Mark, we also got a couple of interesting little collection sets here. Uh, these are uh, the handmade from the Handmade Films collection, and uh, I'm glad they're doing this because uh, it's going to bolster the profile of the films from Handmade Films. Now, Handmade Films... Not Hemdale Films. Not Hemdale, but Handmade Films, which uh, was uh, that, uh, that Beetle Guys company. George Harrison. Yeah. That's what Hemdale was. No, Hemdale was the Hemdale. No, don't get me going on Hemdale. They still owe me two hundred and fifty dollars. Really? You don't you know that story? I uh, probably. Well, it's not Hemdale proper, but the people who ran Hemdale, they made another film, and I was PA like twenty years ago, and they. What was they that film? Wait, what was that film? Uh, 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 Legend of Wolf Mountain with Mickey Rooney. <laughs> <laughs> Only the best. Unbelievable! The stories I have from that weekend. Uh, no, this is the, uh, the Handmade Films collection, in all seriousness. It was separated into the Michael Palin set and the Bob Hoskins set, which actually is pretty great, uh, because Bob Hoskins was in the following films from the Handmade Films collection, The Long Good Friday, Mona Lisa, The Lonely Passion of Judith Hearn, and The Raggedy Ronnie. And then Michael Palin, of course, was in Time Bandits, The Missionary, and A Private Function. There is not a bad film here. No, there really isn't. There isn't. These are these are all terrific. The and problem is that you know uh, a Criterion. Uh, it, it, there's a Blu-ray coming out for uh, coming out uh, of um, uh, Long Good Friday, right? Uh, I believe yes. there's a Long Good Friday Blu-ray yes. coming out. I believe you are correct. In fact, I think I think it may even be um, uh, Criterion doing it. Well. Nonetheless, I'm going to go ahead and recommend these for people who want to have, you know, I mean, it's nice to, to save some space on your shelf when you have multiple films. And uh, these are all terrific, not Blu-rays. They're, they're DVDs, but uh, it's fine. These are really, really good films. And some of this stuff has kind of fallen between the cracks, like The Lonely Passion of Judith Hearn, which uh, Hoskins stars in along with Maggie Smith. That is a, it's a really sweet film. I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful film. Uh, the Raggedy Ronnie, you know, that's kind of fallen between the cracks a little bit as well. And... Uh, uh, you know, doesn't make you love gypsies necessarily, but uh, it's it, that's also solid. And as far as the Palin stuff, I mean, look, we all love Time Bandits. Everybody knows Time Bandits. But uh, we've kind of forgotten about the missionary, and we've really forgotten about a private function. So 
hey, I mean, this is this resurrects these films, I think, for uh, by virtue of putting them into these little packaged uh, multi-film collections. And yeah, I think that's great. Look, uh, you know, we come across so many of these uh, multi-film collections, and there's always one good film and three stinkers. And there, are no, there are no stinkers here? Nope. None? Well, actually, there is a stinker. What's that? It's called Diary of a Wimpy Kid, Roderick Rules. Yeah, did they make another one of those? This is the sequel to Diary <laughs> of a Wimpy Kid. Did the first one do well enough to merit a sequel, or are they just? is it just because they licensed the books and they feel that they somehow have to squeeze something out of the, uh, the, the, the franchise? Well, I mean, how much does this film cost? $15 million? I don't know. Too much. <laughs> Uh, this one was not as well received as the first one. Um, I don't like either of these films. I mean, I, I, I like the idea of the, you know, the, the, the wimpy kid who, you know, becomes cool. I think all kids can, I think that would resonate with a lot of kids, but the movies aren't that great. This is a three disc set. Disc one is the Blu-ray, disc two is the DVD, and disc three is the, guess what, digital copy. A couple of, uh, special features, nothing of note. And uh, it's Wimpy Kid. There's no way they. There's no way that they will feel obligated to complete the Wimpy Kid trilogy. Yeah, it, it, there are more. How many books are there in this damn series? Uh, too many. Oh, heavens is Betsy. Oh man, you know I'd like to give a shout out to a, f- a film called Ceremony, and uh, Ceremony is is a terrific uh, debut from Max Winkler, writer director Max Winkler, uh, who I used to work with. Is this Ma- Henry's kid? This is Henry Winkler's son. Sweet. And uh, as uh, many of you know, Henry, uh, Max, and I, and Jonah Hill uh, developed a show briefly for about six months, uh, about a long time ago, maybe six, seven years ago. And uh, Jonah Hill, of course, went on to become Jonah Hill. And Max Winkler has just directed his first film, Ceremony, which is just terrific. It's got a great cast. Uma Thurman's just terrific in it. And uh, it's a good film. It's got a bunch of special features, included, including a... Um, uh, deleted scenes, outtakes, some uh, stuff with Max, and that's good stuff. Ceremony is a good little film. It is recommended by moi. And uh, how's it look on Blu-ray? Uh, you know, it's a it's 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 a low to medium budget film. It doesn't necessarily sing on Blu-ray, but you know what? Um, but does I, it dance? No, but I think Max gets more money in residuals if you buy a Blu-ray okay. rather than a DVD. I'm down with so that. So you should um, down with that. You should buy the Blu-ray. All the way down with that. You know, Mark, after your comments on Rubber last show, mm-hmm. I went and I, uh, I asked him to send us the Blu-ray as well. Wow. And because, well, here's, here's my curiosity. Because, you know, I own a 7D camera, the Canon 7D, and, uh, which we're doing a lot of testing on, uh, you know, our, our good friend Tim and I. We've been shooting a lot of stuff on it, different light situations, really kind of putting it through the ringer. Going to see how, we can, what, how far we can push that camera. We're going to push the envelope. And uh, I know they shot this with, what, 5Ds? Yes, a 5D. They shot this with the 5D, which has a larger chip, but ge- otherwise generally the same camera. You're getting pretty much the same image quality out of the 5D until you get into really low-light situations. So I want to see on Blu-ray. I want to see how does that – because obviously you're not getting the full image on a DVD. You're not getting the full resolution. If you're shooting on a high-def camera that's like a 5D or a 7D, Blu-ray really shows you what it's capable of. You're going to see the flaws. You're going to see it warts and all, the capability of the camera on a Blu-ray. I'm impressed. Did they? Uh, I want to say I'm impressed with the with the camera work on rubber. Yeah, I'm it's impressed. good. I'm impressed with how it transitions to, to Blu-ray. It's uh, it's pretty it, cinematic it, it, looking. Yeah, yeah. It, the the resolution holds up and uh, it doesn't crack and it's 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 really nice. And don't forget too, on, on a low budget, when you use a camera like that, it allows for shots where you're right behind the tire as it rolls. Yeah. 
Yeah. Which a bigger camera you can never really. No, do I mean that. the five Ds and the seven Ds are uh, fantastic, and I've been reading a lot of stuff about how oh, the the age of the HDSLR will end before it's even started. No, shut up, go away, people. Don't don't try to do that to me. I just bought this thing. Uh, Todd Haynes, the, you know, a, a very talented filmmaker, but one who has had certainly some rather experimental films. Uh, the film that put him on the map was Poison. Uh, which was the winner of the Sundance Grand Jury Prize in 1991. And that's not necessarily why I put him on the map. I put him on the map because it became the center of a uh, National Endowment for the Arts funding controversy. A lot of people had issues with one of the, uh, one of the well, a, a certain section of the film, uh, which is based on the writings of Jean Genet. And uh, there's, one, there's a thing in here that has, uh, shall we say, people who are... Uh, extremely religious and not fond of the National Endowment for the Arts, didn't like that their tax money was spent on um, uh, on on this particular movie. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. That being said, um, they even kind of... Bra- well, this, is, this has been out of print for a while on DVD, and it's now back in print. So all of you who spent uh, $375 getting it on uh, eBay or whatever, I'm sorry, you wasted your money. Zeitgeist has released it in kind of eco-packaging. And uh, it's back out there. And you know what? It's still a very interesting film. I'm not always on the Todd Haynes bandwagon. I think uh, sometimes his stuff is a little pretentious, like with uh, I'm, uh, what was the Bob Dylan thing? What the hell was that called? I'm Not There. I'm Not There. Great title, right? It didn't, not on board. But when it's Far From Heaven, totally on board, you know? Well, Far From Heaven, he was aping a particular style well, of was, filmmaking. Yeah, he was, he was basically making a Douglas Sirk film. I mean, there are even shots and in, in compositions from Douglas Sirk movies that he's, uh, he imitates completely. But, you know, then there's also uh, the Julianne Moore thing, um, the other Julianne Moore thing. Um, Star Wars? No, 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 no. Where she has that, the, the illness. Why can I not think of the title? Star Wars? Stop. Oh wait, I'm I I know what it is, but I'm going to make you suffer. Nah, I'm I'm not going there. Far from heaven. Uh, no, not far from heaven. The other one. Um, quarantine something. What is it? What's it? Called? Oh yeah, the where they're uh, yeah where, where they have to quarantine her because she has the weird illness. That's a great film. Um, it's very Kubrick like. We are not going to stop until we. We'll get there. Anyway, uh, safe. what is interesting here? There's a lot of great safe. Uh, safe thank you. A lot of uh, stuff on the. This is a you know they they remastered the film for this release and did a really nice job and they've got the original 1999 audio commentary that was done for the original DVD release, um, stuff from the Sundance Film Festival, uh, behind the scenes Polaroids, a lot of other great stuff on here and uh, they actually kind of uh, brag in the uh, the packaging about the controversy over this, uh, you know and how a lot of people from the religious right attacked the film at the time and made a stink about it anyway it's out again and it's worth uh, worth checking out we though i do wish it were on blu-ray we we i thought you were uh you were a uh, playstation guy yes i need a new playstation wait oh uh, well because the fan keeps going off and got, it makes a lot of noise i got a criterion here to uh, recommend as well uh not something i ever expected to show up on criterion i gotta be honest with you uh people sunday from 1930 uh is uh is really kind of an unusual uh, long lost film thing. It's very peculiar. Um, this is a good. Uh, you know, I uh, I know a little bit about the film. It's from 1930. Yeah, 1930. German. It's silent. Silent. 
and it's a German film that was made by a bunch of people who were not figures in, in not fixtures in Hollywood yet, but would go on to become big fixtures. At the time, they they weren't even really professional actors. I mean, no, it's, it's no, sort no. of it's sort of it's it's considered like a film without actors. Yes, and uh, the filmmakers involved here here are the names: Robert Syadnock, Edgar G. Ulmer, Billy Wilder, and Fred Zinnemann. That's awesome. Like, I mean, geez, holy cow. I mean, Ulmer would be basically a, you know, a uh, poverty row, uh, kind of an almost a B-movie underground filmmaker. But uh, Syadmak and Wilder and Zinnemann, geez, that's like a, this is amazing. Billy Wilder seems like the name that's like, really? Billy Wilder? Yeah. I mean, we're talking, it's a movie, look, it's a movie, it has, it has five characters, it takes place over a single weekend, yeah. and uh, it opens at the, at, at the, train station it's kind of an experimental thing you know no it is and, and but very very influential and a lot of fascinating uh two scores on here two different scores that you can listen to and uh a 2000 documentary about the film called weekend m1c that's german for uh, weekend at wamsi wannsee we're gonna do it the german way and then there's also a short film from 1931 um by the uh, cinematographer who shot this film and uh, it's you know it's a really interesting little artifact from the past, and uh, it's part of the Janus Films Library, which uh, oftentimes winds up on uh, Criterion. Criterion. And, they, and they did a very good Blu-ray of this. It's a, you know they didn't send us the DVD, they sent us the Blu-ray, and it's very good. But it, man, this is. is a real blast from the past. It is people on Sunday. Good stuff. It's very much a portrayal of Berlin between the wars. Yes, people on Sunday. Uh, and a Swedish midsummer sex comedy. Okay. Um, not a Woody Allen film, despite the... Uh, the uh, You're thinking of a midsummer night sex yeah, comedy. Yeah, I don't want to confuse anybody here. Uh, really, the only reason to check this out is that Luke Perry is in it, who, for some reason, just doesn't seem to age. You know, he looks better than he's ever looked, which is kind of disturbing to me. How old is he, like 55 now? How old is Luke Perry? 60? Luke Luke Perry? No, he's got to be in his sixty-five. He's got to be seventy. In his mid to late forties. Yeah, what do you think? I don't know. Anyway, uh, no, uh, Luke Perry is basically it's a it's just a low budget independent film, but it's fine. Uh, it's perfectly adequate. Uh, Luke Perry is the only significant name in it, and the acting is decent. But uh, you know, if you don't know what the the when the Swedish Midsummer is a reference to uh, Midsummer's. Uh, what is it? What's it? Mid, the Midsummer's Eve, or what's it called? In Sweden? Yeah, you've been there for that. Mid, I have Midsummer's Eve. Midsummer's Eve, where they basically just just drink. get get drunk and eat herring. That's it. It's it's it is a uh, Midsummer's Eve is a night of complete and utter debauchery yeah. all throughout Sweden. In fact, you are told that wherever you have dinner that night is where you are sleeping because you will drink so much you will not want to drive. There Actually, our, our our friend uh, Marie. Yes. Just to say one last thing about Midsummer's yes. Eve, not that uh, we care about it that much, but uh, our friend Marie said that when she was younger, Midsummer's Eve was so epic for her that she and her friends would wake up in pools of their own vomit the next morning because that's how unbelievably debauched Love Midsummer's Eve can be. Love the Swedes. And I, Especially uh, the uh, the soccer team, by the way. It's oh, Women's World Jesus Cup time. You know that. Christ. Women's World Cup time. I know. I, I'm trying to avoid it. Really. Oh, so much fun. Uh, good, good team. Those uh, the Swedes. They were knocking the Colombian women all over the pitch. It was hysterical. They're like uh, s- average six uh, inches taller. Wait, uh, I'm not done yawning yet. Okay, never mind. Uh, well, anyway, so yeah, basically a bunch of friends here celebrating that holiday. That that uh, 
epic thing that Mark was just talking about. And Luke Perry is in the mix, and uh, it's a little bit like all these uh, movies about you know friends that are out in, uh, on a vacation somewhere in a, in a country home in the mountains. Uh, but it's funny and it's cute and it's got its moments and uh, you know it's worth it's worth I guess a rental not, not a purchase of course Midsummer's Eve I have the Mid-Summer's pictures Eve. to prove it Mark um, what's that oh Wade you you hand me only the good stuff Wade <laughs> Megapython versus Gatoroid now this yes. is not Megapon this is not Megapython versus Gatorade no which Gatorade, which is what I thought was funny which Gatorade easily would win yeah. this is uh, this stars two. It's a weird little movie. This stars two uh, icons, musical icons from the 80s. Debbie Gibson and Tiffany. What do you think of that? <laughs> if I had, if I had, and I used to be a huge Debbie Gibson fan. Still am, actually. Really? Oh, oh yeah, I bought both of her first two albums. <sighs> Electric Youth. Ugh. Yeah. So <laughs> bad. What were you thinking? It's terrible. Yeah, yeah, there you go. And the last time that I actually ran in that Nike uh, run hit wonder race, whatever they've called it now, she sang the national anthem at the beginning. Look, first uh, of if all, I were going to put those two in a movie, I don't think this is the movie that I'd put them in. No. And the, Which and the, one of them plays uh, Mega Python? Exactly. The, the, okay, the strangest part about this film is that it was directed by Mary Lambert. I know. And Mary his, Lambert. His career has just. Could catastrophically fallen off a cliff. She directed a whole bunch of music videos, including Madonna did, and the Eurythmics. Pet Cemetery. Pet Cemetery, one of the better uh, Stephen King yeah. adaptations. And then uh, there you go. Her career fell off a cliff. You I know, just don't know what happened. Wait, you're you're saying to me that if your uh, latest credit is Mega Python versus Gatoroid, then your career has fallen? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I beg to differ. Anyway, I uh, believe your success. Yeah, uh-huh. she, she, she. Cedar Rapids, I think, is an uh, is an unfortunately misguided misfire. Uh, it's now out on uh, DVD and on Blu-ray. The Blu-ray also contains digital copy, which I have here in front of me. The super awesome edition. Don't believe it. Uh, Ed Helms, you know, like all these people in the office, that they're now trying to. They always do this with these ensemble casts. A, a show will be a hit, and then they think they can take every, they can cherry pick each person from that ensemble cast and somehow anchor a movie with them. Well, Ed Helms is uh, is is kind of breaking out a little bit, and I'll tell you. Yeah, but he, look, look, he was on Hangover. Yeah, but ensemble, Hangover, ensemble, The Office, ensemble. You right. know, he's not a standalone guy. He's not going to anchor anchor any kind of a movie. Uh, the idea here is better than the execution. The, you know, he plays this nebbishy guy. He's a salesman. He's never been out of the small town where he works. And uh, suddenly, the uh, you know, there's this insurance. The, the, he ha- he basically gets to go represent the uh, the company at the big uh, the big insurance convention thing, and. Um, Turn you know that that's like literally going to Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, he's out in the big city, and he's suddenly exposed to you know all these people from these other insurance companies, other cities, and it's a convention, so it is off the hook. You know what insurance people do when they get out and, and go crazy. Uh, you know, I know what this is about. It's it's like it's supposed to be kind of a coming of age film with a little bit of a weird, quirky comedic twist, but it doesn't feel. Charming. It doesn't feel like if this is if what this wants to be is an Alexander Payne film, but it's not smart enough to be an Alexander Payne film. It's too broad to be an Alexander Payne film, and is too overly concerned with trying to get those big lowbrow laughs, and it just doesn't work. 
I'm sorry. Uh, you know, Miguel Arteta, I expect more from you as a director. Uh, tons of extras on here. Uh, nothing spectacular. Just featurette stuff and deleted scenes, gag reel, and little thing from the Fox Movie Channel. Um, yeah, I, I mean, perhaps somebody will enjoy this as a rental, but uh, I, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't go crazy and, and shell out a lot of money for the Blu-ray. Wait, let me tell you something. There tell is something. there is a movie that was called A Wonderfully Wild Provocation. An imperfect, overlong, intemperate, and utterly absorbing romp through the id that I wouldn't have missed for the world. This is a review yes, written by Betsy Sharkey of the L.A. Times. What movie was she writing about, Wade? She was, she was the only person that gave this any kind of praise. Uh, we are talking about the film which I consider the death of civilization as we know it. The horrible, dreadful, absolutely unwatchably miserable and disgustingly vile uh, Sucker Punch which they have now thrown at us in an extended edition as if we needed more from this this video game mimicking monstrosity. You know, I <sighs> hate this film. It's just it, it was so unpleasant to sit through. It was so numbing, so just rancid and stupid. It is a uh yeah, you know what? It's supposed to be some sort of a girl power uh you know, yeah. an ode to girl power, yet it's yeah. also of course nothing but sexualized. Yeah, well, that's what, that's what all these movies are. They, they try to have it both ways. Uh, I just think Zack Snyder is the worst director on the planet. I just cannot fathom how this guy has conned so many people. Uh, he made, you know, he made, here, here's how he did it. He's still riding on two films. You know that. It's Night of the Living Dead, or, or, the, or no, it was, uh, the, what was it? it? It wasn't Night of the Living Dead. It was uh, Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead. He did the remake of Dawn of the Dead, which... You know, it, it, how hard is it to actually kind of give that a, a new twist? Um, so he amped that thing up on steroids, and then he did 300, basically recreating each and every solitary frame from the graphic novel, and then doing that little speed-up slowdown thing that he does. And then based on those two films, which in which there is zero imagination, he uh, he then went ahead and flubbed Watchmen, and then flubbed The Owls of Gahul. And uh, is there another flub in there somewhere? No, that's uh, it. Well, there, there's an upcoming flub, which is Superman. Yeah. Although people are betting on Christopher well, Nolan. This was an original idea. This is this is the first time that he's actually worked with something that is straight up original. His idea. He owns this thing, lock, stock, and barrel. And man, it is just stupid beyond all comprehension. Tons of money thrown at it. Looks gorgeous on Blu-ray, if that matters. Uh, you know, it's in, it's an impeccable thing to just blow your sound system out and show off to people because it's all gunfire and explosions. But, uh, you know, this thing just doesn't work in any way whatsoever. A bunch of girls in either an insane asylum or an orphanage or what have you. Nobody, it's never really quite clear. And then uh, their escape plans are recreated in these fantasy sequences. The whole thing is just such a hack, junk, crap. Anyway. You love it. Oh, it's just it's your so favorite horrible. movie of the year. It's so horrible. Waste enough time on that already. Yes, I do hate that movie. Oh, it's dreadful. Even Transformers is better than Sucker Punch. Yeah, and you'll be talking about that this week, won't you? On Stupid for Movies. Yeah, I'll, we'll be talking. I'll, be, I'll be tuning in. You better be. I will. Uh, you know what? Carla Guccino is almost unrecognizable and quite good, believe it or not, in this weird little uh, indie called Electrolux, L-U-X-X. Which also, in, in, there's a bunch of other people who show up in this thing that I never would have expected to be in this, like uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who I just absolutely adore, and Timothy Oliphant. Uh, this thing got, like, zero traction in theaters. You know why, Wade? Why? Because it sucks. 
You know what? It's got a weird, quirky little vibe to it. It sucks. Uh, I mean, it's not great. Yeah. It's, it, you know what? It's uh, Sebastian Gutierrez. It's the sequel to his uh, sex comedy, Women in Trouble. Which I and, didn't see. Well, everything that didn't work in Women in Trouble, he ported right over to this one. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just there's no, the lack of momentum, the scenes without yeah, end, no, the softcore camp. It's all there. It's just the, the camp. The, she's the, fine. She's fine. And I always enjoy but, her. But, you know, they're, they're, they're an item. Oh, are Carla they? Guguino, whatever and, her name is, and, and Sebastian, Sebastian yes. Gutierrez. Really? He is uh, uh, Gordon Levitt, totally wasted. He plays this internet blogger yeah. and, f- uh, and fan of Electrolux. And, uh, who's, a, who's a, like a porn star? Who's a retired porn, retired star, porn star who gets involved in this adventure. Yes. And it's just really, you know what? It's just low budget, campy junk. See, I like camp. Yeah, but you know what? They're, they're, this is, it's not accomplished filmmaking. Oh, no, no, not by any stretch. No. It's bad times. Yeah. Well. Anyway, uh, one more movie there. Uh, we'll cover that and then jump into docs. What if I don't want to cover that one? Okay, well, you don't have to. What if I just want to sit here and just go, meh, no, not you're, interested? You're, you're welcome to. Okay, fine. Or I can, I can uh, you know, this Yes, well, you want me to talk about this, don't you? You want me to talk about well, Lebanon, Pennsylvania. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of do. Because <laughs> I, I didn't watch it. Oh, man. Well, Lebanon, Pennsylvania is an okay film. It stars uh, Josh Hopkins, who I'd never heard of, as a uh, kind of a mid-30s guy living in Philadelphia. He goes to Lebanon, Pennsylvania to bury his father, and he winds up uh, having a friendship with this girl who is his cousin. She's a teenager. She's pregnant. It's okay. You know, it's not bad. Samantha Mathis is in it. We all love Samantha Mathis. And uh, Mary Beth Hurt is in it from the Big Chill. Mm, big Chill. Yes, it's 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 not bad actually. You know, it's a, it's a nice little comedy directed by it's written and directed by this guy named uh, Ben Hickner Hick, uh, Hickernell, who's done like nothing since. So obviously, it was not very well received uh, critically. Guy can, can't get another film made. Um, you know what? It's a little cliched, but it's got some strong moments. And um, I don't know why it's on Blu-ray. Ah. Huh. Not no. necessary. Uh, actually, before we get into some docs, uh, there is a collection of MGM films that I want to uh, do a quick shout out on. These are the uh, the latest batch of MOD releases. You know that that stands for Make on Demand, Manufacture on Demand. Same thing, same thing. Make on Demand, Manufacture. Okay, fine. Be that way. Uh, anyway, these are uh, basically what you know. Warner, the Warner Archive Collection started this whole thing, this this trend where you uh, go online and you say, "I want one," and they uh, they press it for you right then and there, and that way they're saving money on the manufacturer cost of having to make twenty thousand that will not sell, but they they can sell them one at a time as they need to, and that way they can bring a lot of uh, unsung little movies out and make them available for purchase that otherwise wouldn't be uh, financially feasible. Uh, Nick Gomez has not had the career that I would have expected him to have, but he, um, you know, he really made a name for himself with Laws of Gravity, and Laws of Gravity is now out as part of this uh, MGM MOD release. Uh, definitely, you should check this out if you have not seen it before. Great performance by Peter Green, who gives a lot of intense performances in you know a lot of things like Clean Shaven, all the way to uh, The Usual Suspects. But uh, really, this is uh, it's a, this is one of those sharp little low budget indies that kind of started the indie revolution at one point. Uh, the little unsung Samuel Fuller film is also part of this series, Park Row. Uh, this would again never have gotten released because it's not a great Samuel Fuller film, but it's worth watching. It's uh, 
it's got basically a no-name cast, uh, more no-name than most of his other stuff, but uh, really terrific black-and-white photography and a very, very good performance by Bela Kovacs. Good Hungarian name there, so uh, that's worth looking at. Um, I'm not so fond of The Fear Makers, mainly because I'm not a huge Dana Andrews fan. I like Dana Andrews in maybe two or three films like... Uh, he did a bunch of noir back in the day, but yeah. you, but you know what? When your name is Dana, well, not happening. He's you know the best years of our lives. Uh, Nineteen forty six Best Picture was brilliant, you know, uh, and he's great in it. But it's an ensemble. Uh, no, the best thing about this is uh, well, who else? When Laura, yes, and he's decent in Laura. Laura is more about the music than anything else. This oh was come on, yeah, Laura! Yeah, no, it's, it's good. It's good. You're mean. Uh, this is, uh, anyway, Dana Andrews anchors The Fear Makers, uh, directed by Jacques Tourneur, who is a very good filmmaker, uh, if you've seen any of his other stuff. Uh, the only thing that I really vibe to in this is, uh, it's got Mel Torme in it. Mel Torme is an actor. Awesome. First big film. Awesome. Love it. Love those jowls, even back then. An aging Errol Flynn in The Big Boodle is, uh, eh, eh. Uh, not a, you know, you can tell that this guy's liver is about to give out at any given moment. It's, uh... Not a great film, but it's based on an interesting novel by Robert Sylvester, and uh, it's, you know, the only thing that's kind of noteworthy about this is that it takes place in a Havana casino, um, where Errol Flynn is a croupier, and uh, it's a bit, a little bit of a quasi-noir. It's interesting from a historical standpoint, if you know the whole history of Errol Flynn in Cuba, and, you know, that's, that is a, a history unto itself, so this kind of plugs into that lore. Uh, Roy Scheider and Jürgen Prochnow acted for John Frankenheimer in The Fourth War. Not one of the most memorable Frankenheimer films, but, you know, a couple of guys whose faces looked like granite at the time, and uh, anything that Frankenheimer does is on some level worth checking out. So uh, that, one's, that one's, you know, a nice curiosity factor. Uh, from the, uh, the, the World Films Library, also as part of this MOD thing, is uh, Another Man, Another Chance, also known as Un autre homme, une autre chance. Now, this is their way of saying um, this is a, a kind of a sort of a French film. Well, it's not really a... It, it's a, it's American act, at least one American actor, um, but it is, in fact, a French film by Claude Lelouch, and Claude Lelouch's movies are an acquired taste. I love them, generally speaking, but they're unusual, and uh, it takes place in you know the American West. So it's kind of an it's kind of a Western, but it's also kind of a foreign film. It's a Lelouch film. There's no other way to say it. Uh, Jules Dassin. Speaking of uh, great French directors, I love uh, Jules Dassin. Jules Dassin is terrific, and this is one that I almost think they could have made a non MOD film. They really could have gotten a straight up uh, regular DVD release out of this and sold quite a lot. Uh, this is Phaedra. P H A E D R A. Really, a terrific movie. Uh, it's it you know it's just a, it's it's an illicit love affair movie, but uh, great performances and really good direction. Uh, you know, Dassin is just such an incredibly gifted director. Night in the City. Oh man, some really Rafifi. good stuff here. Yeah, uh, and a, and a fabulous performance here by uh, Anthony Perkins. You know, uh, who everybody always thinks is just Norman Bates. And then the last two here are uh, kind of curiosities. Uh, A Midsummer Night's Dream, uh, as directed by Peter Hall, which is cool. We often rage uh, and rage. We rave about Rebecca Hall on this show. Well, this is her dad, who is one of the great uh, Shakespearean directors of all time, mostly stage stuff, 
But yes, he did at one point make this very, very little scene uh, film about, you know, one of the great Shakespearean plays of all time. And, uh, I, you know, I really, I've, I had never seen this before. This was done in 1966, and it's, it's an incredible cast. I don't know how this thing kind of fell off, of the, off the radar. You know who's in this thing? Uh, let me guess. Gallagher, the comic. If you say carrot top, I swear I'm going to pause the show and come over and I'm going to like pound on you. <laughs> carrot no, top. Listen, listen, listen to who's in this. I mean, first of all, director of photography Peter Suskitsky. I'm not going to say Peter Suskitsky because it's just it sounds obscene that way. Um, who's a great DP? You know, he did uh, um, Star Wars. No, you know what he did. He did uh, one of your favorite James Horner scores of all time. Uh, which one? Oh my gosh. See, Peter Yates directed it. Peter Yates. Peter Yates directed a movie that James Horner wrote a score for. You bought it on vinyl. I bought it on vinyl. What is it? It's got a Cyclops in it. Oh, oh, that's right. <laughs> Krull. Thank you. Yes. Peter, Peter, that guy, shot uh, Krull. Very, very good cinematography. Shot this. Listen to who's in this cast. This is going to blow your mind. Among others... Okay. I love that guy, among others. No, stop. David Warner, Diana Rigg, Helen Mirren, um, Ian Richardson, Judy Dench, Ian Holm. Come on. That's great. That's, that's a who's like, who. That's totally who's who. Who's who. It's incredible. So uh, you got to check this out. This really is a very, very good version of a, of a play that doesn't always translate to film very well. There have been maybe three or four versions, and it's always a little tricky. And then the last one here is the unbelievably bizarre Bob Hope film that totally fell between the cracks. This is such an odd production. Um, Call Me Buana. Bob Hope. Get this. This is Bob Hope starring with Anita Ekberg in a film produced by Harry Saltzman and Cubby Broccoli. Yeah. Like, how did those people get together? Where did that come from? It's just bizarre. The producer of the James Bond films and... And Harry Saltzman, and that's just weird. Gordon Douglas. Well, because it. because when Broccoli back then, Broccoli was contracted by UA to make two films a year for them. Yeah, he and did, this was he, the other one. Well, he would make a James Bond film, and then he'd do a Bob and Hope then film, he'd make, and then he'd make a non-Bond film, like a Bob Hope film. And it wound up being a Bob Hope film. Well, anyway, uh, you know, and Anita Ekberg. Who's who said I know? We'll put Bob Hope together with Anita Ekberg. What? <laughs> That's like that's like I know. Let's let's put Daniel Craig together with uh, Phyllis Diller. It just it doesn't make sense. It's just the weirdest pairing. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, sure. Uh, so anyway, it's it's okay. It's not a great Bob Hope film. You can tell he's kind of on on his last legs as a uh, as an on screen comic here. But uh, you know, it's an out of it's a fish out of water thing. You know, with the Bob Hope in Africa and uh, you know whatever. It's it's got its moments. Uh, here's a movie that has its moments, American, the Bill Hicks story. Now, people who do not know about Bill Hicks, well, let me tell you, them thar thar. Uh, Bill Hicks was a stand-up comic uh, who died at age 32 of pancreatic cancer, and since his death in, uh, actually, 90, oh, 94 he died at the age of 32. Since his death in 94, his comedy and uh, his persona have become kind of, frankly, a little, I mean, he's funny. I like him a lot, but... Yeah. 
you know, death was the best thing that happened to his career. Oh, absolutely. It's like they say about Marilyn Monroe. You know, the, dying young was the best career move she ever made. That's right. Bill Hicks is a little like that, although although Hicks is funny. He was he was born in Georgia. A lot of his comedy was like religion and politics and philosophy, and he did a lot of funny stuff. But um, and there's there is a certain amount of him on DVD already. Uh, including some stand-up specials that you can stream on Netflix, but American, the Bill Hicks story from the BBC, is the uh, considered like the ultimate, you know, Bill Hicks documentary. I think that this documentary is fine. You're probably better served by just watching some Bill, Bill Hicks, Hicks routines routines on Netflix. Yeah. Because this is very much a hagiography. A friend of ours was actually, uh, you know, trying to get a Bill Hicks uh, biopic off the ground for a little while. Uh, yeah, but you know what? His life was not that interesting. I mean, it really wasn't. I mean, well, it, there was the casting it, they had talked about would have been interesting. Though. They, well, there was something interesting about a guy who grew up in Georgia who had very sophisticated mm-hmm. theories and ideas about politics and religion and philosophy. I like that part. The best thing about this DVD is the second disc, which has 30 minutes of rare clips and unseen performances, uh, extended interviews, uh, deleted scenes. The second disc is just as good, if not better, than the actual movie, American Bill Hicks. And um, on the documentary front, I'm going to actually go ahead and recommend something that I never would have imagined I would have recommended, The Vanishing of the Bees. Actually, just Vanishing of the Bees. Screw the bees. I don't like bees. I'm scared of bees. Uh, yeah. Wait, when I was in summer camp and I was nine years old, I was stung by a bee in the <laughs> chin. And if you want to see Mark, if you, if you want to see Mark Kaiser run, I've I've seen you run around bees. Uh, it's, uh, it's show a, me a bee. It's the funniest thing I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, it's freaking hilarious. <laughs> it, it it exists to this day. And, oh, so get this. I I was go, I, I was going I was going to. A, why why are you laughing so much? Because you know it's because, true. Because I remember I just I don't even know where we were. I just remember there was a moment somewhere we were somewhere and and out of the blue I didn't even see the bee. It was like a microscopic bee, but I just remember you just going, ah, bees, bees, and you hightailed it out of there. Yes, Somewhere there was a bee, and it just it yes. sent you running. It was, a, it no, was hysterical. I, well, he, he, I have a story that's even worse, and it's more recent. About three months ago, I was walking to a screening with this girl I was going out with at the time. Oh, I know where and, this is going. And for some reason, I mentioned, I don't know why, I mentioned I'm afraid of bees. I, I don't know what made me mention it. And literally, as I mentioned that, a bee... <laughs> Does a dive bomb into my eye. Didn't sting me. Just bounced off my eye. But the bee does a dive bomb into my eye. And then bounces off my eye. Didn't sting me and falls on the concrete. And I stepped on it and killed it. And now it is dead and in hell. Well, you're, you're going to feel guilty after you watch Vanishing no, the Bees. Yeah, you will. Tell me why. Did you know that all bees are female? I'll, I'll kill them. I don't care. Like, the males just sort of sit around in the hive impregnating the queen. Couldn't care less. The ones that are out doing all the work are the women. Couldn't care less. Uh, anyway, th- as we all know, and especially if you know from having watched that horrendous M. Night Shyamalan film, The Happening... Uh, bees are, are vanishing and Good. Uh, all over the planet. So it's, long, suckers. It's really a bad thing, man. It's a bad thing from an ecological standpoint. And but it's it, a good know, thing from Mark's standpoint. We need bees. No, we don't. People. We, we don't we need do. bees. We, we don't do. need There's no animal that we need. We need bees in a big, huge way. No, and this, this will tell you. I, look, I come from a family of beekeepers. I know about this stuff. By the way, the bee lobby in Washington is very powerful. They are, and they well, probably they, lobby to get this. They made. need to be uh, more powerful. 
Anyway, uh, this is so interesting, and it comes in this really thin eco-packaging, which will not look good on a shelf, so you're not going to find this very easily. But uh, really, it's so important, and it gets into why we need bees and why they are so essential to the ecosystem and why human beings and bees are, are you know, represent a very careful Duh. balance. It's, it, and it does it without being you know, like weird or wonky or overly BBC. It's really, really terrific. So you've got to see this. Love the bees. Don't take Mark's word. Just love the bees. We need them. I hate bees. From bees to uh, from bees to the O. This is a strange little documentary by Liz uh, Canner called Orgasm Inc. And in the movie, which is it's a smart film and it's also a funny film. It's a documentary. It's all about um, the female orgasm and the idea that there is a condition which is a new condition, yes. which is a bit of a BS condition, if you ask me, mm-hmm. called female sexual dysfunction, yes. which was invented pretty much so that pharmaceutical companies can pretend to cure it. Yep. And it's all about uh, this pill that's supposed to cure female sexual dysfunction. And she gets into you know female orgasms and what it means to different women and blah, blah, blah. It's good stuff. It's, it's, a, it's a cute little documentary. It's not what you think. It's not salacious or anything like that. So no graphic cinematography of... Uh no, no. Okay. This, this is not Swedish. This is not Swedish porn. Ah. It is Orgasm Inc. But is it the Swedish women's national soccer team? Because they're good. Uh, they are good. They're fun to watch. No, they're not. Uh, you know what's really terrific? The King Speaks. No, not the King's Speech, but the King Speaks, which is an actual documentary about the real King George the Sixth and and all that stuff that uh, the movie was technically dramatizing. And uh, as you can imagine, a lot of things in the movie aren't quite as they really transpired in real life. And uh, there, are, there are a lot of details and nuances to the story that make it even more interesting, which, of course, you can't always do in a movie. Uh, and what's great is this thing is short. It is short. It is mercifully short. It's only 50 minutes long. This is from BFS. And uh, you've got to get this. You're going to see real footage of the real King George VI. And you'll realize that Colin Firth dead on deserved that Oscar. If you didn't think he deserved it now, before, you'll definitely think so after this. Um, narrated by uh, the star of Inspector Lewis, the great Lawrence Fox. Uh, this is really uh, absolutely terrific. It'll give you all new insight into uh, the king as well as Lionel Logue, who was played by Jeffrey Rush in the film. And uh, it, it'll just, uh, you, you'll, you'll gain a greater appreciation, not only for the real figures, but for the movie itself. It was terrific. So this is a, this is a great supplement. I wish this had been an extra on the uh, on the DVD, they should have they should have done that. Yeah, but then you couldn't buy that separately, uh, yeah, and the production company would probably make more selling that those individual discs than licensing the documentary to. I, I suppose. Uh, and then uh, one more thing here that's sort of a not really well. It's kind of, it is a documentary. It's just sports oriented. Um, now that the NBA championship has gone to Dallas. And uh, that poor LeBron James is uh, once again 0-2 in the finals. Aw. Can you tell I don't root for Miami? Uh, we got a Blu-ray here, When They Were Young, The Path to Stardom. And this focuses on five uh, rather talented NBA stars, uh, one of whom just retired. That would be Shaquille O'Neal. So the focus here is on Shaquille O'Neal, Kobe Bryant, Kevin Garnett, uh, LeBron Wade and uh, LeBron LeBron James and I bumped the mic. Yeah, I noticed that. I actually scratched the mic with my fingernail accidentally. And Dwayne Wade. 
So uh, your name's Wade too. No, what's interesting here? You know, here, Wade. If you married Dwayne Wade, your name would be Wade Wade. Or his and name. You realize if the or two his you, name would be Dwayne Major. If no. Why? Why am I taking his name? Because the two of you are going to go to New York. How, how am I the woman in this scenario? The two of you are going to go to New York right Jeez. now and get married. You can get married in New York now. Yeah. Okay. Jason, get married. That's great. And you're going to become Wade Wade. Thank you. Not Dwayne Major, huh? Nope. Wait, wait, I see. Wait, wait. I'm the woman. Got it. Thank you. Right. Nice to know you, you think know so it. much of me. Anyway, no, I find this interesting because uh, the you know the dynamics of these players is that well, Kobe and Shaq played together. James and Wade are currently playing together. Garnett met Kobe in the finals. Uh, you know, Shaq played with Dwayne Wade in Miami. They won a championship together. I mean, it's interesting. It's like. The, 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 these are five great players, but they're really limited to just a handful of teams. Franchises are not uh, what they're all what what they should be in the NBA. We need more stars and more franchises. And this lockout, which is where I'm going with this, is is going to be a problem. Anyway, uh, this is this is a decent uh, sports doc and uh, a lot of interesting stuff. If you're fans of uh, of these guys, um, and you um, you know you also get. Um, you know, a, little, a look at some of the other figures in the league. Uh, Carmelo Anthony uh, on one of the special features. A little thing on his draft day. Tim Duncan. Um, strictly for basketball fans, though. Nobody else will really give a damn. Mark, we got, uh, before we wrap the show out, we got a little bit of listener mail that is worth uh, going through. And I also want to give a shout-out to the five people who won our um, Kill the Irishman giveaway, the Blu-ray. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, our winners were uh, Tommy Thigpen in Texas, uh, Dan Hoskins in uh, Wisconsin, Nathan Roll also in Wisconsin, uh, Mark Kuzniers in Illinois, and Robert Shue in Virginia. So congratulations. Congratulations. You well, win. You won the uh, Kill the Irishman Blu-ray. You can now, and by the way, with, should, should be arriving any day now. And with that comes uh, actual uh, legal permission to kill an Irishman. Absolutely. Dead on. And uh, then we, we had a, a very interesting email from uh, Chris Tsai, who uh, asked us basically to name, if we could sort of give him some recommendations for movies that start with Q and X so that he could fill out his, uh, his DVD collection. And because he, he was alphabetizing it and he didn't have anything. So uh, Mark uh, recommended, these are, these are some interesting recommendations that uh, everybody should, should heed. Mark recommended The Quiet Earth. The Quiet American, Q&A, The City of the Met Film, Q, The Winged Serpent. A, that was a good one there. Quetzalcoatl, Q, The Winged Serpent. And Quiz Show. And I threw in uh, Quai des Orfèvres, The Criterion, The Queen, Quadrophenia, Quartet, and Quest for Fire. I can't believe I didn't mention Quadrophenia. I know, because you love that. And I can't believe I didn't mention Quest for Fire. But when it came to X, you were stumped, weren't you? I don't think I answered yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, you were stumped. You know what? I gave him two good X ones. One, the Chinese film directed by Joan Chen, Shu Shu, the Sent Down Girl, which she had to do practically on the sly without the Chinese government even knowing she was shooting it. Great film. Great, tragic, wonderful film. But the number one film that you should absolutely always get if you need a space for X, if you need to fill X in your collection, Xanadu. There it Xana is. don't. Xanadu, baby. Uh, and then uh, last uh, listener mail. 
well, actually, a couple of last ones, a couple of corrections here. Uh, we got one from uh, Joe Nocella, Senior Finance Officer. Thanks, Joe. Always yeah, great to hear from you. Yeah, Joe is our Senior Finance we Officer. We love Joe. And Joe said, uh, by the way, the Richard Donner cut, of, Donner cut of Superman 2 was released on Blu-ray a few years ago, along with other Superman titles, when the whole Blu-ray and HD DVD format wars started. Um, but they are all together now in a boxed set, which we should have mentioned when we, uh, when we covered that. So thank you for pointing that out, Joe. And then also uh, Kevin writes us and says, Wade and Mark, uh, it was, uh, with respect to Sally Field, says she's playing May Parker in The Amazing Spider-Man, not Martha Kent in Man of Steel. Diane Lane will be Ma Kent. He's correct. You made that mistake. I didn't make that mistake. Don't call me out. So there we go. With that, that is our show this week. Uh, Please tune in and watch Mark and uh, another... Fabulous talent on Thursday. <laughs> Devin Faraci. Devin Faraci. There we go. From on Chud, formerly of Chud.com. Oh, wow. There we go. I'll be tuning in. He's a fanboy's fanboy. And if you want to email us, email us at gods at digigods.com. Always gods at digigods.com. And uh, we'll see you next week.